you know, I've heard a lot of people say that they first really understand the problem of how our streets are designed if they start using a bicycle for transportation in a city. Mm. And that once they start riding a bicycle around, they see this whole other world that opens up to them. They see it in a new light. And we would like to help people see the streets in a new way, even if they think they don't care about it, because everybody really does care about it. They just just may not know that. All right, Sarah, you've probably been following our podcast and you were inspired to... (laughs) Yes, we at the War on Cars have been thinking about doing a podcast for a few months. We've been working on it, refining how we wanted to do it. And yeah, now we're ready ready to launch because we feel like uh, we need to open up a new front in the War on Cars. We need to you know, find a new way of reaching audiences. All three of us involved, Doug Gordon and Aaron Napperstack and myself, have um, have been working to raise awareness about what cars do to our society, um, you know, bike advocacy, pedestrian advocacy. I'm a journalist. I've been writing about these issues for years. Um, and, uh, you know, we just feel like it's time to take the message out further because it's not being heard and so this is our way of trying to reach a wider audience so you all come to it from advocacy right i would call myself more a journalist than an advocate um doug i think would identify more as an advocate aaron's you know sort of in between aaron is the founder of streets blog which is a great blog network of people you know writing journalism about about livable streets and and so forth. So you know, we all come come at it from different from different angles. But we've known each other for for many years, and it, what we really would like to do is sort of take the conversations that we have with each other about these issues, and take the the passion and the anger and the excitement that we feel about the potential for you know change, and and bring that to to a wider audience and a general interest audience. Kind of take it out of just the wonky circle of transportation nerds who care about this stuff, because we really believe that transportation is an issue um, that that affects everybody the same way that education or healthcare do and it's not really it's not really discussed on the same level and mm-hmm. and we want to help change that. Yeah, and so w- would you even say that and this is a uh, softball question that there's like a blind spot on transportation <laughs> and for for yeah, some people. Yeah, and specifically there is a blind spot in the progressive uh sector. People who identify themselves as progressive uh, on a variety of issues, whether it be you know social issues or economic justice issues or equity issues, all of those things, sometimes they just don't really seem to get it on transportation. The way that manifests here in New York City is with people who, you know, are I'm sure you know identify as liberal Democrats uh, who fight against bike lanes. Because, you know, they need to drive their cars through there, and how are they possibly going to do that if there are bike lanes? There was a big fight over a bike lane uh, in Brooklyn next to Prospect Park that, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer's uh, neighbors were were really up in arms about and, and tried to stop with lawsuits and so forth. And 
it's a great bike lane that that you know lots of people use children a lot of children use it and somehow the idea that there needed to be four fast moving lanes of traffic there instead of a bike lane and a couple of car lanes really got all these supposedly progressive people up in uh, you know enraged so there is a real progressive blind spot on this. Not, not only it's not only the fact that a lot of people at the federal level just want to fund roads; they don't want to f- fund public transit. But even on the neighborhood level, sometimes people who would identify as progressives don't seem to understand how important this issue is. Is this just nimbyism? It is nimbyism. It, it certainly is. But I mean, you know, I, I guess I see it as, especially here, uh, you know. It, I mean, in New York, you see this opposition to congestion pricing from our from our, you know, supposedly progressive mayor, Bill de Blasio, uh, who wants to hold himself up nationally as a shining light for the, you know, sort of left leftern leftist part of the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, he and yet he won't discuss the one policy that would both help to reduce car congestion in Manhattan and help to fund public transportation, um, he, he just keeps dismissing that and saying that it would hurt it would hurt too many working class New Yorkers when working class New Yorkers are the ones who use the subway. Working class New Yorkers are the ones who are getting killed on the streets of New York by cars. Working class New Yorkers are the ones who are dying of preventable uh, cardiovascular disease uh, because of the particulate matter in the air. So, you know, it's not really clear to me how that's a progressive position for him to take. And in his case, it's not NIMBYism. You know, it's that's his that's his policy, uh, you know, position for for no good reason. I have uh, my co-host Kelly is going to ask you a question. This is Kelly Morris. And hey, Kelly. I live in Long Beach. So, ah, okay. yeah, we're pretty progressive when it comes to bike lanes. But it was interesting what you were talking about as far as who is more receptive to the bike lanes. It's interesting. I live in an area that is mainly black and mm-hmm. Latino. And when we put a protected bike lane in on a major street where there's mostly businesses, there was nearly a blink of an eye. But the minute we put that same type of bike lane through a residential street, the neighbors were up in arms. So, and, and, and what do you, what, to what do you attribute that? I wish I had the answer. Part of it was that our councilmen actually didn't have any talks to warn the neighbors ahead of time. Mm-hmm. What had happened was they were putting in Um, I think, new gas lines or water lines. And what he was able to do was find that he could restripe the road with the bike lanes at a reduced cost. Mm -hmm. So he took that opportunity knowing that it was on the list of bike lanes that were going to be striped anyway and took that and, and decided to go with it. So there was quite a bit of pushback in the neighborhood when that happened. But and and what has how long ago was that and what is the you know how, how have things kind of shaken this out? This is what happens when you journal. interview a journalist. Oh yes, it's been yeah. over a year, uh-huh. and there's less pushback, but it's yep. still there. And in fact, you'll see a car that somebody has sideswiped, and the neighborhood uh, next door media 
social media will say, look, it's all because of the bike lane. That car yeah. was sideswiped because of the bike lane. And you're going, really? How? Huh? So- yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've definitely seen that in, in other cities as well, where bike lanes are sometimes seen as a sign of gentrification that mm-hmm. that has, you know, or as, you know, why didn't you care about what these streets were like until white people started moving in. Uh, that's something that that has happened in, in a couple of different cities. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to talk to communities about what's happening. Um, oh, I agree with you 100%. I mean, and let me give you another example. There's another community, a very, very affluent community that's a couple of miles from us. I went to a meeting several years ago where the city of Long Beach was presenting the bike lanes that they were going to put in, which is part of the master plan. And there was, the whole era meeting was filled with people from that neighborhood, a predominantly white neighborhood, million dollar houses there. Mm -hmm. And it was an unbelievable uproar. They didn't want those kind of people in my neighborhood. I don't want that. And we're talking about an extremely wide street this street is yeah. so wide that you could have parking and two lanes of traffic with no problem. So adding a bike lane would not be disruptive because there was only one lane of traffic going in each Those way. Those kind of people? You mean cyclists? No, the people that live in that neighborhood. Oh. The, there were cyclists there saying, well, why, why would you not want to put it on such a wonderful wide street? Well, the, the response that really struck me was one fellow said, you're going to put this roundabout in front of my house. And part of the curve is going to be painted red, and I won't be able to park at the curve. So the yeah, person, the I mean, person emceeing said, do you park at the curve? He says, no, I park in my garage. And we're like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that, um, that, you know, if you own a car that you are entitled yes. to this space, I mean, you know, in a lot of places where there where there are people don't have garages and they have curbside parking the idea that you you should be able to store your private vehicle on public property you know for no charge and uh, you know that it's a terrible imposition to even move it so the street can be cleaned you know that's that's really one of the things that that we at the war on cars want to talk about is the way that the curbside is managed and how and how important that's going to be if we're actually going to create cities that are livable and sustainable and and just you know decent for human life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because because right now the the way the curbside is managed, it's just it's just storage for enormous private vehicles a lot of the time, and there's there's really no reason that 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 should be the case. I agree. And then also we can look at the intersections, especially when the children are using them to go to school. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. I mean, you know, I think that's something that I've heard a lot of people say is that once they have children, they see the street in a different way. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and I think that it's it's really revealing that, you know, that that we're willing to put up with a certain amount of fear and danger for ourselves. And then when we see our own child going, you know, experiencing that relationship to the street, it suddenly becomes clear that it's just, 
it's actually not the way that people should live. The number one cause of death in children is traffic, right? Well, I mean, accidental death is the number one cause of death in, I think, people under the age of 18, and then cars are the the number one cause of accidental death. And that doesn't even, you know, count, I don't think, the uh, the the death and illness caused by pollution, air pollution, and not just death and illness, but also, you know, if you put, um, there have been a lot of studies done about low birth weight in, um, in uh, infants who are born near highways and, uh, and other places where there's a high concentration of traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of health effects that, that, that happen for children that I don't think that you know, we've even begun to be aware of, uh, or at least on a um, mass scale. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, we see cars as this, that, that there's this sort of, there is a, a blind, the blind spot in our society to cars and how they affect us, because we've made this deal in our minds that, oh, well, cars offer us this kind of convenience, that is indispensable, and so we're going to put up with all of these negative effects that they that they have on society. And it's you know it's it's crashes, it's pollution, it's noise, it's the degradation of neighborhoods to where people can't walk comfortably around and and get to know each other, where people you know don't feel like they can cross a road. That really changes their relationship to where they live and the people who live around them. Um, and I think, you know, it, cars have contributed significantly to our social isolation in this country. But and I hear it's, that that it's is really changed. scary. That's changed, though, over the last years and generation where millennials, I guess, are not buying cars or they're spending more time using social media to connect that they're more likely to buy or use a car part-time instead of full-time? Are you taking You know, I don't have those statistics at my fingertips. Neither do I. There certainly have been trends. There's some indications that some of those trends were caused by the 2008 recession and, and, Ah, uh, you know, just the downturn in earning power. But the the fact remains that the, the vast majority of Americans live in cities or suburbs where the infrastructure makes it very, very difficult to live without a car. That's true. Or to even live in a car, you know, light uh, kind of situation. We've constructed, you know, our communities in a way that's hostile to human life. And it's hostile to, you know, if you think of, you know, being able to move about under your own power as, you know, on your feet, as being one of the defining things of, of the human being as a as a an animal, um, you know we've we've created a situation in this country where that's very difficult to do safely. Millennials might be less likely to use to drive, but also what about things like e-scooters or driverless cars? Well, if you listen to our podcast, you'll see that we have a wide variety of opinion on that, um, and that some of us. Uh, are more optimistic than others uh, about the the effects of those technological advances. I, you know, Aaron Naperstack, um, 
who is one of my co-hosts, is is uh, you know much more um, bullish about e-scooters, not just because of you know oh hey it's fun to get around on an e-scooter, but because he he really thinks that they are are sort of forcing us to rethink that the proliferation of all of these technologies is is forcing us to rethink the way that streets are designed and that it's going to uh, be a, a sort of a, a pivot point where we could leverage that new awareness that's created by these technologies to make a, a more humane streetscape in our cities. Um, I'm a little bit more pessimistic about it, uh, and especially on the issue of driverless cars, which that's our first episode, which, which launches on uh, Tuesday morning, um, it, that our first episode is about... What's, what's the date our, of that? Our, uh, that, the that would be um, ninth? Tuesday, October 9th. Um, that, that, you know, we, we talk about driverless cars, and, and uh, my concern is that in order for cities to be places that driverless cars can navigate safely, they're going to have to become much more predictable and uh, because driverless cars are, are great and predictable environments, but they're having a lot of trouble designing them so that they can deal with the unpredictability that you might find in an average street. And I'm worried that we're going to make our streets conform to the cars rather than, um, than you know, waiting until that technology has become more sophisticated because there's, you know, and, and I, I understand that they are safer in a lot of ways than human drivers. I get why people are excited about them in that, in that way. But, um, but right now, you know, the, the woman who was killed in Arizona by a driverless car, one of the things that happened was apparently the car didn't recognize what she was. She was a person pushing a bicycle that had some shopping bags hanging off of it, and the car couldn't figure it out. Whereas, obviously, a human being would look at that and would know what that was. The car couldn't do that. And, and I'm worried that we're going to get into a situation where our streets become hardened and, and more difficult for pedestrians and bicycles and, and other small vehicles like that to move around in just so that driverless cars will be able to navigate them more easily. So I'm, I think that things could go one way or another, another bad possible scenario with driverless cars is that they're going to just, you know, you'll, you'll drive your car to work and then, great, maybe there won't be parking there, which is one of the things that is supposed to be a plus, but in order to not park your car, you're going to just keep it driving around and around. You're just going to set it on, you know, Oh, really? Is that what loop. would happen? Well, that's one of the possibilities, that there would be driverless cars without people in them driving around. Instead of parking. Hmm. So, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of unknowns, and uh, and and, and it could go that, many different you know, ways. We need is to what be really saying. thoughtful in the way that we design these systems, because if we just sort of let them happen to us, mm -hmm. uh, the way that we let the automobile happen to us in the first place, I think it could be really, really. Uh, you know, negative. The, the outcomes could, could be very negative. So this is kind of like a sample of what the war on cars would cover. But you've got... Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about 
all sorts of stuff. And we talk about, like, we're going to talk about kids in cities and how, how kids use cities and, and what their, we're going to interview kids and find out what their take on the way the streets are is. We're going to talk about um, politics, the politics of it, you know, mayors who are doing things right and mayors who are totally messing it up. Um, we're going totally to talk mess- about pretty mean- much every kind of topic that that cars come into and and we're we do it in a way i hope that's entertaining and funny because we do disagree on a lot of things even though we all uh you know have have sort of the same principle at heart which is that cars are killing us i mean cars are doing so much damage and we need to figure out how to how to change that um so that's something we have in common but we tend to things get a little bit heated sometimes in, in our discussions I can imagine. and um and we're going to have guests on and we're going to do lots of lots of stuff i mean there's there's a lot coming in and people can can um go to uh our web page which is waroncars.org um and that will have all our episodes there and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Overcast. Um, we may be, you know, it's going to take a little while for us to get up on all platforms, but I, we're going to be available on most platforms starting on Tuesday, October 9th. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be, I hope, a conversation that is, like I said, not just for people who consider themselves to be, like, I care about transportation policy, but people who have never thought about transportation policy and and we and you know we'd like it like you know I've heard a lot of people say that they first really understand the problem of how our streets are designed if they start using a bicycle for transportation in a city mm-hmm. and that once they start riding a bicycle around it's like the it they see this whole other world that opens up to them um, they see it in a new light and we would like to help people see um, see the streets in a new way, uh, you know, even if they think they don't care about it, because every, everybody really does care about it. They just, they just may not know that. That's right. I think people don't always know what a livable street means. Yeah, and I think that we're like, we don't, I mean, it's always so interesting to me that a lot of people will go, you know, who have the the privilege or opportunity to go to Europe, come back and be like, oh my God, Europe is so amazing and everybody walks everywhere and it's also, you know, they have great public transportation, all the trains go on time and, and, and you know, gosh, it's too bad it could never be like that here, you know, and, and that's so sad that we just assume that, oh, well, we could never have public transportation that actually functions in such a way that that it makes life easy for people. Well, wait a second. You know, New- we just accept that. Isn't New York pretty good? Well, I, except that the subway is falling apart from oh. being underfunded and, and poorly managed. We're, it's, it's, it's really a terrible situation here right now because mm. a lot of the trains are breaking down. The, there's major repairs that, are, that have been neglected for years because, because the, the funding system doesn't work. And so, you know, yeah, New York is as good as it gets in the United States. And it's, and it's still, for me, when I go to any European city, and it doesn't have to be in a rich European country like Germany. It can be in a relatively poor European country like Spain. 
you go and, and everything just works. And people mm. can actually get around and do their lives with public transportation. And, and it, it makes cities so much more pleasant. And, and, you know, here in the United States, people go to Disneyland or Disney World to experience what, what that's like. Oh, look, let's, let's go and pay a bunch of money so that we can be in a place where we can actually just walk around. Mm. Like, that's so mm-hmm. exotic to us. It's crazy. Long Beach is pretty good. No, I mean, obviously <laughs> there are places, but think about it. Think, you know, think well, about how that is still a special thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's still like Long but, Beach but is so, good, so, so but it's, the, but the it's, city has decided to make that investment and can show other cities how it, how it works and what's, what's involved and how much of a commitment is needed to make that work. Long Beach, which I have not visited in many years, but I know people who live there and, and who are active and trying to make it a better place, and it sounds like amazing things are happening there. What is the funding formula that's not good that you said is the problem for the New York's crumbling trains? Well, it's a fight between the city and the state as to who is going to pay for some of this stuff. And it's become a political fight between the mayor of New York and the governor of New York. And it's also because a lot of this is controlled by our state capital uh, in Albany. And a lot of those people don't want to help New York City do well, even though New York City is the economic engine that drives the state. Um, it's it's a very complex, it's way too complex to get into here, but it's politics. Aaron started Streets Blog, and Doug is Brooklyn Spoke. Yeah, Doug is Brooklyn Spoke. What's Brooklyn Spoke? Brooklyn What's Spoke is a blog that Doug has been writing for years about about biking around New York, and Doug is a very um, you know, Doug is an activist who has been on the front lines of a lot of the fights to get specific improvements in in the, in the city's infrastructure. I mean, he's and he's very well connected, and you know, everybody knows Doug in this in in that movement. Doug is uh, the movement to make New York a more livable city. He's he's been you know he's been central. And who came up with uh, the war on cars? The name? It was brought up along with the all-powerful bike lobby as one of these conspiracy Actually, things. I think that I was the first one who, who brought up the phrase, the war on cars, as being our name. We had not come up with a good name, and so I was like thinking of like that the tagline could be the official podcast of the war on cars, and, what, and I said that, and then we were all like, oh, it should be the war on cars. <laughs> that phrase came from somewhere right the phrase is used by a lot of anti-bike people who Mm. say there's a war on cars this is you know this is all part of the war on cars like whenever a bike lane goes in and so we just thought we would just take it you know yeah okay we're the war on cars (laughs) yeah let's 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 be real about it we want fewer cars in our cities we want to get rid of a lot of cars there are too many cars and especially in cities, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to have so many cars in cities. And, and we want to change it. Well, thank you, Sarah Goodyear, for being on Bike Talk. And yeah, my pleasure. Oh, thank ha- you for asking me. And, and everybody should listen to uh, The War on Cars. Look on your podcast uh, provider. If you have any questions for us, suggestions about things that you'd like us to 
cover, you can email us at thewaroncars at gmail.com. That's thewaroncars at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon. So if you go to Patreon and you want to support us, if you want to create a funding stream for us, um, you can go on to Patreon and, and look for us at The War on Cars, and, and you, can, you can be a foot soldier in The War on Cars. And, um, and we're also on Twitter, at The War on Cars. We're on Instagram, at War on Cars. Um, you know, you can find us. Did I give you that phrase, foot soldier in The War on Cars? Did I? Because I, that's how I, I describe this. I don't know this if inter- you, I, oh. I mean, you did not give it to us because it was already on our Patreon page before I talked to you. Oh, because I just, <laughs> I just used that to describe this interview in, in my uh, social media. Uh, um, well, yes, yes. So, yeah, we've, we, there's a lot of, a lot of military imagery that we're going <laughs> to use, even though we're very peaceful people. <laughs> do you just but have one do, episode? This is something that we really, really care about. Anyway, I really appreciated the chance Perfect. to talk with you. Thank you. And you just have one episode out, right? That's it so far? Uh, we have our uh, our pilot is up already, and then um, on October 9th, our first episode is going live. And after that, we're going to try for every other week. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kelly, too. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 